words there. And uh, we'll go ahead and start. I'd like to welcome everybody back to Alabama Care. Today we have Mrs. Jennifer McInerney from Carney Dye LLC Attorneys. And we're going to be talking about supported decision making and kind of the, uh, the slope there from more restrictive to least restrictive uh, alternatives for individuals. At this point, I'd like to hand it back over. Mrs. McInerney, if you would introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Jenny McInerney. I'm an attorney here at Carney Dye Law Firm. Our primary focus here is uh, wills and trust, special needs estate planning, um, estate administration, trust administration, guardianships, conservatorships, and business succession planning. We have four attorneys here, Winston Busby, Jack Carney, Shannon Dye, and myself. Um, and today we're going to talk about guardianship, what it is, um, and what alternatives there are that currently exist, and what alternatives um, are kind of on the horizon in Alabama, and the people behind that uh, in Alabama that are working on kind of changes that are happening. Mm -hmm. So in Alabama, the age of majority is 19 years old. And what that means is a child legally becomes an adult at the age of 19 and a parent no longer has the legal authority to speak for or on behalf of that child. And that rule is the same regardless of that child's level of disability. So you've heard me speak before about my daughters. I have an 18 year old and I have a 21 year old. My 18 year old will be 19 soon. So when she turns 19, she's disabled. Uh, when she turns 19, there's no difference in her signing of durable power of attorney and my 21-year-old, who's on a full-ride scholarship at NC State, signing a durable power of attorney. It is the same. Um, they turn 19, the state of Alabama considers them a legal adult. Now, why is, it, why is it 19? I always remember growing up and telling my parents, well, I'll be 18 next month, so you can't tell me what to do. So the federal government considers you a legal adult at 18. But Alabama considers you a legal adult at 19. Huh. Yes. So, yeah. So if you are, um, if you are legally disabled, you can, some of you who may be on um, disability benefits, you can apply for SSI um, at age 18 because those are federal disability requirements. So you, at age 18, you're considered a, a federally adult, an adult. But mm -hmm. in the state of Alabama, you're considered an adult at age 19. Gotcha. So at 19, you're kind of going through, um, do I need help in some of these decision-making processes for a prosperous life or, or do I not need any help? And that's where kind of these options that we're going to talk about today right. come into play. Right. And so, you know, we often see kind of a flurry right before kids go off to college where parents realize, oh, my child is about to go to college. If something happens to them and they get taken to an emergency room in the middle of the night, I can't even call the emergency room and find out if they're in the hospital because they're an illegal adult. They're a legal adult and the emergency room can't even verify they're there unless I have a healthcare directive signed by my child authorizing me to those medical records. If I don't have a health, if I don't have a durable power of attorney, I don't have access to their financial records. I can't go to the bank and get information for them. I can't handle financial affairs for them. I can't do any of those things for them. So for like my daughter, who's in college in North Carolina, we have, she signed a durable power of attorney in the healthcare directive. She lives out of state. So it allows us to, to handle those things for her should something happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we'll do the same thing for my daughter when she turns 19. And we'll talk a little bit more about that because she does have a disability, but that does not mean she can't sign an estate planning document. Mm. So 
we're going to talk a little bit about guardianship. So first, we need to know what that means. Mm -hmm. So a guardianship is a it's a legal proceeding when an individual's rights are taken away by a court and given to another individual called a guardian. Now, a similar proceeding is called a conservatorship. You heard all about free Brittany. That was a conservatorship, which is a process whereby a conservator is appointed by the court to manage the financial assets of an individual when he or she cannot manage them for themselves. So you have two different things happening. A, gar a guardian is someone is appointed to take care of their person, of the individual, manage their the person, their body, their, their medical decisions, where they're going to live, what doctor they're going to go see, you know, what grocery store they're going to go shop at, where they're going to live, you know, what time they're going to go to bed. All of those kinds of choices and decisions are going to be made by the guardian. Um, a conservator, you don't always have to have for an adult disabled child. And again, I'm restricting this to an adult disabled child conversation. This mm -hmm. also applies you can be disabled and need a conservator or guardian at any point during your life. Um, but in the process of sometimes parents are told when their child turns 19 and they have a disability that they have to go get a guardianship and they have to go get a conservatorship. Um, and I think that's just from years of that, that's what's been expected. Um, yeah. You know, back in the day when, um, some of the institutions were around. Uh, my family member was in an institution. It was just kind of, yeah, that's what happens. Um, but as we progress through the civil rights movement, disability rights, um, we've come up with other options here. And the conservatorship is a, a, kind of a, a less hands-on, not making all those decisions, but just helping out more on the math side of things and the currency side of things, checkbook side mm -hmm. of things. Is that correct? Yeah, but that the conservatorship is more invasive. That's where the court is going to be overseeing every penny of, of how the finances are being monitored and used. You have to get court approval for certain things of how the money is being spent. Um, reports have to be filed in the court. Um, it's often a very expensive process. And you can avoid a conservatorship with things like a special needs trust. You can, you can avoid a conservatorship with things like an ABLE account. Mm -hmm. You can avoid a conservatorship with lots of creative other options, um, which is usually what we typically advise our clients. Um, and, you know, again, just because you have a disability does not mean you cannot manage your finances. Um, my daughter struggles to manage her finances, but she's capable of using a TrueLink card with her ABLE account that we, you know, assist her with. Uh, you know, I'm her authorized legal representative, but she can use her link, TrueLink card, and I just assist her with her ABLE account. Um, and that avoids a conservatorship with a special needs trust. Mm -hmm. So a protective proceeding is generally the conservatorship, a protective proceeding can be a, a, a guardianship or a conservatorship or both. Um, it's typically where a petition is filed in the probate court. There are strict requirements that have to be met with the probate court when the petition is filed. And then once filed, a guardian at litem will be appointed by the court. The guardian at litem is typically another attorney in the county that will be appointed. And that attorney will go out and meet with the, um, the person that's been alleged to be disabled. And um, 
that guardian ad litem will make a report to the court if they feel that it's necessary to have that guardianship and or conservatorship approved. Typically with these um, proceedings, there's also a doctor's um, letter or report that also has to be written and approved. So if I file a petition to have my daughter for uh, guardianship for my daughter, I would have to have a doctor's note that specifies where her diagnosis is and why um, she lacks the um, capability of caring for herself and why we need to be appointed as her guardian. That makes total sense because if somebody's coming into the situation that's unfamiliar with the individual, you want as much background knowledge there. You want to talk to the family, the friends, the individual, and get a, a greater right. sense there. Now, um, at, at being an attorney yourself, have you ever been an at litem uh, attorney? So I've not been a guardian at litem. I've not been appointed a guardian at litem. Um, other attorneys in our office have served as guardian at litem in, in other cases. Um, so we do get appointed from time to time to serve as guardian at litems. Um, yeah, I would recommend. I would imagine being involved in the, in the community as you guys are and Carney Dye is that you guys would be a great resource for the Jefferson County here. Uh, to yeah. And, you know, you also have to get approval from other family members for a petition for guardianship. So if, if I were to file a petition for our daughter for guardianship, it would be my husband and I together. And her siblings would also who are over the age of 19 would have to sign off and say, I agree with this petition. My sister needs protection and I consent to what my parents are, are doing. Um, so that's just a brief overview of what that petition would look like. Mm -hmm. There would be a hearing where the judge would put her eyes on us, ask us questions, um, ask um, our daughter questions if she felt necessary, make sure she understood what was happening. Um, and um, and in emergency situations, there, there is a process for an emergency guardianship as well. Um, that's a different process. And what I was referencing there is what we call a short form guardianship process where parents petition. Um, so that's just a kind of a line. There are different standards for different, and there are different processes for different layers. Mm -hmm. um, but there is no clear line marking when a person becomes incapacitated and no longer can care for themselves. There's no point in the law where we can all agree and say, yes, this person needs a guardian, you know, and that's what makes it difficult. Under Alabama law, incapacity depends on whether a person, quote, lacks sufficient understanding or capacity to make or communicate responsible decisions due to a mental or physical deterioration or illness. And this, de this determination depends on a number of factors, including a person's ability to responsibly manage finances, medication, or other basic tasks of daily living. So, you know, when a, when a family member comes to us and says, I want guardianship, we typically will step back and say, okay, well, let's talk about why you're here and what led you here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the ABA, the American Bar Association has a tool to kind of assess these situations. And, you know, we use that tool to see if a guardianship is really needed. Um, and we start with the presumption. And that presumption is that a guardianship is not needed. And we start from, are there other alternatives that would work? And in a minute, we're going to talk about what those other current alternatives would look like and what those would be. Um, I'm going to share my screen just to see if this is the correct one here. 
-hmm. Is that the tool? That is it. Awesome. So we'll go ahead and put this in the chat um, so that people can uh, go ahead and use that if they so choose to. Yeah, so, so it's practical. It spells out practical. P stands for presume. You presume that the guardianship is not needed. And you explore other alternatives. And we're going to talk about what those other alternatives are here in Alabama. Mm -hmm. R stands for reason. So what's the reason for the concern in the first place? So why are we here? Is it just because we're 19 or does something else happen? Um, is, is the child in danger? Are they engaging in dangerous activities? Are they um, in harm? You know, things like that. Are people likely to try and take advantage of them? Those kinds of things. Right. A, ask, did a reversible or temporary condition cause the present concern? You know, will it change in the future? You know, sometimes it is temporary and it's not a permanent situation and we don't need a, a, a permanent guardianship. We just need a temporary situation. What would be an example of that? So sometimes um, an example may be. Um, so an example could be. And the reason I ask is because um, like, I feel like it can be a little bit hard to get that taken back off as in the case of like the Brittany uh, stuff that we've seen going on. So an emergency guardianship is not permanent. An emergency guardianship is, is it lasts, I think it's only 14 days. You see the 14 or 30 days is a very short time period and it expires by statute. Okay. It requires that emergency requires that a hearing be held for the permanent if you filed so typically, if we file an emergency, we're also filing for the permanent if it's warranted. I have had a situation where we filed an emergency and permanent at the same time, but then the person passed away um, before we could have the permanent hearing. And so we just called the court and had the hearing dismissed. Mm -hmm. And so we needed the emergency in order to obtain um, medical records. So could an emergency be like if somebody had a stroke? Um, like if my grandmother or somebody, an elder family member? It could be. It could be that someone had a, had a medical emergency and there's no there's no estate planning documents in place. Yep. And the, you know, you need to get, you need to get, um, you need to sign, you know, paperwork maybe to get them into a facility. You've got to get a conservatorship in place so that you can get access to their financial records to start doing a Medicaid application. You know, there could be lots of things that you need. You've got to get, you've got to get control of the situation in order to start getting things moving to get them into the facility that they need to be in. And let's say they get in the facility and they, may, they have a great recovery. And in a month, you know, maybe they're not fully recovered, but they're able to take care of all that, you know, make decisions on their health, make decisions on their finances. And so that emergency would be great for that opportunity there. Well, the, the emergency, remember, is only short term. It's only that, that two-week time period. Mm -hmm. But um, I've never done a permanent guardianship reversal, but I know Jack has had a guardianship reversed. And it, it can. I mean, look, you know, we when we go into these situations, if we have to file for guardianship because somebody doesn't have brain activity and we don't expect them to live, and then they make this miraculous recovery, we're just doing what we, we have to do at the, in that moment. Um, and if they do recover, then we can go back to the court and say, you know, we did what we had to do in that moment and they've made this a recovery and they no longer need this protection. And the court will understand that they're not going to penalize us for doing what we needed to do. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I think um, 
I think it's because it's it's so widely recommended, especially in the past, and it can be quite lengthy and cost a little bit to get that guardianship reserved. Was why we're seeing this big push right now to individuals and families that have that either are 19 or you know in that age group or parents um, for the other options. So we have guardianship, we have conservatorship. Let's keep going along that list there. Yeah. So. I'll just move quickly through these questions just so you at least kind of have them in your head of some things to think about. If you're a parent thinking, does my child need guardianship or does my parent who's older, who maybe has a dementia diagnosis or I'm starting to see some things, um, community, can the concern be addressed by connecting individual and community resources for team? Is there a team in place? I identify the individual strengths and weaknesses and see where assistance is needed challenges, look for challenges that might arise in the support structure. A, appoint a legal supporter to help make decisions. L, limit, if a guardianship is necessary, limit it so that it provides the bare minimum of protection. It will therefore be possible to preserve the individual's dignity. And most of our guardianships that we do, we do limit them. And, you know, we preserve voting rights, for example, we preserve a lot of those things so that, at, you know, at least some of those issues are carved out for the individual. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I indicated before, but, you know, just because your child has a disability does not automatically mean they cannot sign state planning documents. So what that means is as an alternative, a power of attorney and a healthcare directive are really powerful alternatives to a guardianship. A durable power of attorney allows you to point someone to make financial decisions for you if you're unable to make them for yourself. So as an estate planner, Alex, if you were to come in here and make a state plan for yourself, your state plan would consist of three main documents unless it was a super fancy state plan. And it would be a a durable power of attorney, a healthcare directive and a will. So it'd be the same two main documents, your power of attorney and your healthcare directive, because those two documents exist while you're alive, but they lose their power when you die. Mm-hmm. So they, they kind of spring to life when you sign them and they kind of die when you die. Now your will, conversely, will spring to life when you die. So the advanced healthcare directive is going to be that document where you're going to appoint an agent to act on your behalf to make those end of life decisions for you in the event that you can't make them for yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where you can get creative and where this is a really great viable alternative to a guardianship. So as I've indicated in the past, I have a daughter with a disability, and this is where I've been creative in utilizing an advanced health care directive to meet her needs. Um, this is where I've used some of the language that the supportive decision-making kind of movement have used in kind of allowing the individual to make decisions about their care and their future. And I've put it in our documents. So for my daughter, I've created a document for healthcare and, and I've used it with our clients here at Carney Dye. If they want it, they can have it and anyone can have it. Um, I've used it with some of our clients here already over the years, and that is um, if an individual has specific requests about mental health treatment, about specific treatments, medical treatments, about specific treatment facilities, physicians, 
um, individuals they want to be part of a care team, individuals they want part of a visiting team. So if they're in a, a facility and they want individuals to be part of a team to visit them, to help care for them, to help make decisions for them, um, all of those things, whatever you want, you can customize it to what your needs are, what your wishes are, as it relates to your health care and your health needs can be put into that healthcare directive. And that's how we've used that kind of supportive health, that supportive decision-making and put it into what's already being done and what's already legal here in Alabama. Um, now, is it pretty easy to change that healthcare uh, directive, the advanced mm -hmm, direct? Mm -hmm. So you, you know, if something changes that day in the individual, or let's say I want something to be different. I met with a doctor and decided, you know what? I don't want that to be my doctor if, you know, I get in a car wreck or something like that. Um, I'd rather go to this hospital. I can just do that myself, or do I need to contact you guys to make that change? So it has to be witnessed um, by two. Th there are like witnessing requirements. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not like I can just log on and, and create an email and say, this is what I want to do. I mean, you could send it to us and we could update the documents. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, another alternative that we always remind folks is um, third party special needs trusts. Um, as a parent, now obviously there's lots of different types of special needs trusts, and I'm only going to talk about a third party special needs trust, and that's where um, like a parent would be leaving money for a beneficiary like my daughter. So it's not ever money that's hers that's going to go into that trust, but money of somebody else's that would go into trust for her. So my parents could put money in, but nothing that's ever her money would ever go in directly. And the reason being is because if she does have a number of assets, some of her benefits from the state and local governments uh, will be decreased. That's right. And so a third party special needs trust, what's really great about that is you can build into that third party special needs trust a lot of supportive decision making in that document as well. So in, in my daughter's third party special needs trust, she has a trustee, obviously, a team of people to manage her finances when we're gone. But she also has a team um, of individuals to help be um, kind of um, resolution, dispute resolution. Kind of mentorish. Yes, and there are about eight individuals built into the into the document who are who are there to help guide her through life when disputes arise that she's selected in teams of two. Um, there's so she has a financial team, she has a medical team, she has a job team, she has all of these teams built in. So between her healthcare directive, her her durable power of attorney, her special needs trust, she's got. Uh, this wide network of support structure already built in. She's got a map already structured and laid out for financial. Her financial map is already laid out. She's got a medical map already laid out. She's got instructions set out of how she wants her life to be. Um, she has a map laid out with our letter of intent of how, you know, if these things were to happen, this is how we want to happen and to be guided. Um, now, when you, this, go ahead. I'm sorry. Done, all of this we've done, you know, with her, 
you know, the third party special needs trust is our document. It's our money. It's not her money. If she wants to set up a trust, she can with her own money. That's the first party special needs trust. But those teams that we've established is in our third party special needs trust. And that's money that she'll, that will be funded by money that she'll inherit when we die one day. But, you know, the, and all of this is structured so that one day in, in the event that we die, she's got this magnificent plan set up with all of these people set up already. And this this all works, but there's a weakness in the let's, plan. Hey, let's hear it. Because it sounds too good to be true right now. And that is, if she, so... The weakness of a durable power of attorney in a healthcare directive is, you know, if she gets mad at us and she decides she doesn't want us to be her agents anymore, she can tear up the document and throw it away and it's revoked under state law, which means they no longer have any legal effect and they would have to be re-executed to have legal power. And so, a durable power of attorney and a healthcare directive are only as powerful as the individual who's who signed them are in compliance with them. That seems like a good thing, though. It is good, unless your disability can ebb and flow. Mm. So if maybe there's a mental illness there and you're having a, a manic episode or something like that, yeah. um, and so what you can see is, is or if, if you go on a medication or if something happens, I mean, so the weakness, and, and that's with any, any system, any document, right? Like if it's, you know, if, if it gets revoked, then, you know, it doesn't have the same effect. And so yeah. that's kind of the weakness in the whole system of, of, of using the durable power. Of the other weakness is that doesn't work for everybody. Not everyone who has a disabled child has capacity to sign. And that's just not the alternative. And, and not everyone wants guardianship for their children and not everyone has capacity. So again, there's, there's a hole. And so in that hole, we, we, so we have these two alternatives. We have guardianship and then we have over here, the state plan option. And so we have this gaping hole between the two options. And that's kind of where we sit right now with all these different creative options that some estate planners have kind of come up with along the way to kind of try to fill some of these gaps. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where some of this new. Um, new uh, progress or, you know, acts are being introduced, new movements. Right. Um, and we have someone here in state that is really pushing for that. Um, Colby uh, Spangler and his mom, Kim Spangler. Uh, and you guys are familiar with the Spangler family from a number of broadcasts that we've done with them. Um, and uh, at this point, what I'd like to do is I'm just going to share my screen. I'm going to play a YouTube video that was created for the Colby Act. Um, one of the possible solutions for the state <clears throat> that, to fill some of these gaps. And I'm hoping that you guys will be able to hear the audio. But if for any reason you're not, please let me know. Now, Jennifer, can you hear? Let me share screen here. Can you hear any of this audio? Nope. No. Okay. Let me turn up the volume here. 
No, I think uh, we got no audio. So um, what I'll do is I'll just post the video link in the chat. Um, but as you can see here, Colby Spangler is a uh, you know is at the University of Alabama in a program that they have there. That is my understanding, he would not be able to be a part of that program if he had uh, such things as guardianship. Um, so that was one big thing that they wanted to make sure. And he wanted to do is to go to college there. And you can see he's, he's doing great. Uh, and I'm going to give a shout out to Cole. He's a pretty cool guy. Uh, I've gotten to, uh, meet him a few times over the past year. So, um, I'll go ahead and put that in the, the chat there. Um, but I kind of wanted to go back to when you were talking about the teams, you know, all of the teams that, uh, you have on the third party special needs trust. Um, it reminded me of Colby's dream team that he has through supported decision making. Right. <clears throat> so, so, yeah, I was going to say, Kim um, presented to a group that we're both in um, a little bit about her, Colby's dream team. And if, if, if I don't know if you have information that you can share with the group about his dream team, it's a really great presentation about how Kim and Colby were able to. Um, identify individuals from the community to be part of that dream team and just how critical identifying those individuals and the process of identifying those individuals, how the process of identifying them and how critical that process is. Um, I know when I meet with families, sometimes it's very difficult for them to identify um, individuals that they think can be part of the team for their kids because having a child with a disability, we all feel like our worlds are like so tiny and so small. Mm -hmm. um, and when Kim was talking the other night, you know, she's right. You know, when we think about it, like we all feel so like our world is so small, but really we, we if we walk through our day, you know, step-by-step, step, our world isn't so small. We really do have a lot of support structure and, um, a lot of what Kim spoke about was just having those conversation with, conversations with individuals if they would be willing to serve as part of a team member um, really opened her eyes of who would be willing to be part of that team. I think would really help a lot of folks identify who could be part of team members for their kids. I think it would really help their kids expand their, their, you know, their horizon, their world of who could be helping them. Yeah, and it's um, a lot of times it's the first part of asking there that can be the most yep. scary part of that process. But you'll find that a lot of people are very willing and, and uh, able to do that. I'm going to share this. This is going to be part of uh, the ColbyAct.com, um, and just to give a little overview here. So, you know, this bill or this act does not have a sponsor yet, but they're actively looking for one. Mm -hmm. um, and the act is uh, to empower individuals to make their own decisions and stay in charge of their own lives while using supported decision-making teams. And very similar team dynamic as the one that you have with your daughter uh, under the third party uh, special needs trust. Um, and the act is to support Alabamians who want to use supported decision-making teams to gain access to information, understand options, responsibilities, consequences of their decisions, and to communicate their decisions effectively. Um, so this act yeah. is, is hopefully going to recognize that the team is a viable alternative to for limited guardianship. Yeah. And if, if, and I hope I'm not speaking out of order, but I think that my understanding from Kim is that 
it wouldn't, the act is not to compel a supportive decision-making team, but what it would do is it would require the courts to consider a least restrictive alternative to guardianship. So instead of the courts kind of starting with guardianship and assuming, oh, there's a petition for guardianship, this is what's needed, it would it would see the petition for guardianship and it would start with an assumption, okay, what what options are there for least restriction, least restrictive alternative first, and then move on to guardianship if necessary. So mm -hmm. it would add kind of that step in the middle. And the way that, um, so guardianship, just the difference from the individuals involved, the way that I think of guardianship is it can almost be like one provider or one individual that is the guardian uh, for, for that person. Um, and that's more of kind of a one-on-one -on -one thing there, but with the supported decision-making teams or the teams in third-party special needs trust, it's not just a one-on-one -on -one and the role uh, kind of goes to a coach of a team um, rather than just an oversight thing on a one-on-one -on -one guardianship. Yeah, and guardians can be like parents, like two people, um, but yes, that's what... Yes. And, you know, a lot of other states have enacted similar legislation. So what Kim is proposing is nothing new um, and it's not alien and she's not trying to pass something that's never been heard of before. Um, a lot of other states are doing this. We would certainly not be one of the first. Um, and, you know, one of the benefits of not being one of the first is that we can learn from those who've come before us and make sure that, you know, we have a really strong, you know, act in place when we do pass that new legislation. You know, one of the things that Alex and I were talking about um, when we got on the call was that um, Alabama's um, currently has a probate code revision bill to do some major revisions to the uniform probate code that were last made in 1983. Um, if you would do me a favor and hold up a little bit of that, which you showed me. Yeah. So it was in the, Alab the Alabama lawyer this month. Um, they just sent out an update to what the bill is going to look like, which is some updated language to the bill. Mm -hmm. And um, it's pretty substantial. Now, one of the things that Kim um, talked about the other night with our group is that the Colby Act is not something that would clash or contradict any of these provisions, but would kind of run parallel with it. Mm -hmm. And so it is a ni it's nice timing for the Colby Act, because I think that this kind of paves the way for some changes that the Colby Act could maybe come in line with. And I think that there are a lot of individuals who would really be served by the Colby Act. And there are a lot of families that um, would really benefit from being able to structure a team for their kids. Yeah, with both adult children. With both legislations there, um, it's kind of a one-two punch and hopefully knock it over the finish line uh, where it is a viable option that is recognized by the courts um, when individuals and families are going through that process. Now, you said that there are a number of other states that have uh, supported decision-making options. Um, can you name a few off the top of your head? They, I think Texas has. Um, there's, a, there's a there's a number. There's a website where you can see the legislation. Um, I think it's supportedecisionmaking.com. 
Yeah, you can see the legislation and you can click on the, the state is highlighted and it actually shows you the actual legislation. Sorry, I don't have it in front of me. No, I'm going to put it in chat. I got to pull it up here. Um, but uh, so we're able to see how the supported decision making policies are going in other states. Um, and that gives us a unique look to, to kind of say, okay, this is really working well. This isn't working so well. Are there some things that aren't working um, or that we should take into account when we're going to try and pass this act here in, in Alabama to tweak, you I know, guess, from can, other states? Yeah, I mean, we can always learn from um, lawsuits and issues that have cropped up in other states that have passed similar legislation. Um, I know when I was at Stetson conference this past year um, in the supported decision making session, there was um, a couple of cases that they highlighted in other jurisdictions related to team members um, with conflicts of interest, assuming fiduciary roles with conflicts of interest. So maybe individuals abusing power, things like that. Um, Siblings assuming roles that shouldn't have roles. We always caution when when siblings assume roles, but even within special needs trusts. Um, while we we know siblings are really great to help because they know the siblings' uh, disability probably the best, um, it can also cause some conflict down the road. So we always just try to um, put them in a role, but maybe not a role that is. Um, trustee or the highest fiduciary role that we could place them in. And so we always just try to caution, you know, we obviously can't prevent every designation, but um, there are some lessons that we can learn down, you know, along the way. It reminds me of like, uh, you know, running a business can be very tough, but also having a family business takes it to another level because you have those internal things just from growing up. It's something ridiculous, like, you know, 10% or 5% of businesses succeed after five, 10 years, something like that. But then you add family business in there and it drops drastically again, it almost like never works out. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, right. So um, we want to support uh, Colby and Kim to get this yeah. act passed. And what are some steps that, that they need to have happen and we can help happen? So they do not have a current supporter. And what does that yeah. look like? Who, who could be a, a supporter? I think it's got to pass the House representatives first. So they're going to need a um, bill sponsor in the House. And Kim could probably be the best person to speak on this. I don't think they have a representative in the House or the Senate. Um, and so they're going to need maybe sponsors for both. Um, she can she may can chat with you if, she, if she's yeah, I'm you now to tell you if we're wrong or right as we speak. Um, but, um, you know, any and all sponsors, we, we will, I think she'll take. Um, but um, I know she's been working around the clock on this. Mm -hmm. She's really, she's really doing everything she can to kind of get the information out about it. So if you um, know somebody, a local legislator in the House or the Senate, and they are passionate about disability, disability rights, um, I know Kim would love to, you know, get contact information from them and reach out there. Um, and the same thing for if you know any uh, legislative uh, representative uh, who's passionate about disability, let us know so we can get them to attend one of our partners in uh, policymaking conferences as well. Yes. Yeah, so I believe it's been every um, weekend broad uh, event that there's been a legislative legislator there. 
Yeah, uh, including, we're trying to get them to attend, yeah. I think there's one on the list for the one at the end of January as well. I can't remember oh. the name, but uh, I'm excited. So I haven't been involved. If you could talk a little bit about PIPA. Yeah, so it's um, Policy and Partner. Partners in Policy Making <laughs> Alabama. Partners in Policy Making Alabama. Um, and if it's focused on uh, disability rights um, in Alabama, we talk about the history of disability rights um, in Alabama. We've talked about education rights in Alabama. Every month we focus on kind of a different theme, um, just becoming educated so we can become better advocates about the disability community. Each one of us has been tasked with kind of coming up with a project to make the state better, um, a better place to live for our, the disability community. And so Kim's project is doing the Colby Act. Um, and uh, we all had to submit a proposal. And, um, but every month we focus on kind of a different, different theme and we travel around the state and we meet once a month in person, but we also meet during the month as well to kind of get, get, get information, share information and kind of learn from one another. Um, this past week, we had a session about guardianships and protective proceedings. I briefly touched on guardianships and the fact alternatives do exist right now, um, while limited. And, um, you know, a lot of the folks had just questions about ABLE accounts, you know, because we had a representative come talk about ABLE accounts, but it was very fast. And they were like, can you talk about ABLE accounts? So I talked a little bit about that. And, you know, a lot of them were like, I still don't understand how to set one up. And so at our next session, I told them I would stay late, you know, after we finish and help everyone set up an account. Because a lot of, I mean, even my clients I meet with, a lot of them just have a lot of trouble getting through that application online. It's just really confusing. And no one really walks folks through that application. And so I'm going to walk them through the application. You know, that was one of the things that came out of that session was that everyone's really confused about ABLE accounts. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about that. And so it's been really, really helpful to kind of just, you know, share information. We share information with each other. You know, we learn, you know, one of the participants is a principal in a small town in Alabama and just hearing her stories, you know, a lot of the participants are parents and just hearing their stories is just, it's really eye-opening. Yeah, uh, I, we've had the opportunity to be um, a part of some of these PIPA sessions. And um, it, it kind of makes me think it, it's like uh, a semester long or a year long course that you're going to take with others that are interested in, in disability rights and making changes here in the state of Alabama. Um, and it goes for one year and uh, the sessions are, are full right now, but next year they will have another enrollment for those that are looking to get involved. <clears throat> and the focus is around educating. Uh, I think if I had to say, I think it's about educating yourself to have that confidence um, to speak to your legislators and realize right. that you know, you as a group, the PIPA group, are the ones that are going to make that change um, and coming together as a team there to do that. Uh, yeah, and I, I think learning how to speak and being an advocate at the local level is really, too, a big component of learning how to identify who to speak with at the local level so you can affect change locally in your community. 
Yeah, it's, you don't have to go to Montgomery every, every time. Um, a lot of this change will happen um, at your local township. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what is your proposal? <sighs> I'm putting you on the spot. You don't have to share if you don't want to. So I make two proposals. They were, uh, they're kind of big. So I don't know if they'll get approved, but um, I have a deaf nephew and I obviously have a daughter with, um, with a dis another disability and she both of them drive and I really worry about them driving. And so Alabama recently combined the decal tag, you know, where we used to have the month and the year oh, yeah, yeah. side. And my proposal was to make a a decal sticker for the left side that would notify um, emergency personnel that there was a disabled driver in the car. Yep. Um, it's kind of like the yellow dot program they have in Shelby County, but that it was associated with the state so they would notify the reporting emergency so that it was associated with the vehicle. Yeah, I, that reminds me of, so we have a sticker on a window for a family member of mine that has a disability to let we the firefighter. I have stickers all over my daughter's car. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also there's a lot of talk about how, um, you know, officers or, or um, are reacting in environments that somebody has a disability and they're getting pulled over and they're unfamiliar with how to respond. And sometimes that can go drastically very wrong. So if, if in this situation, if there was somebody getting pulled over because of a, uh, the tags expired or something like that, <clears throat> and there was a little tag there, then the officer would be better prepped. And I'm going to put a, a plug in for um, Dustin Chandler um, and the work that he does. He is a retired police officer and has a daughter with a disability and runs a, um, uh, an organization that travels the state. Uh, and the Southeast and trains police officers, um, fire, um, fire fighters, um, how to respond in those situations, uh, continue training for them. Um, My daughter so, has a yellow um, ID card that identifies her as being on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, she was in recently in a car accident and she has, I have a sticker on her windows. And I mean, I have it on four different windows, but you never know if she's in a car accident, what will survive. But it, it's one of my greatest concerns. Yeah. I, and so I, I think that's very, I, I can see that going. And what's the other one, if you don't mind me asking? Um, it was expanding. Um, so it, so I recently learned that um, Alabama is one of the few states that doesn't expand does not expand handicap parking to individuals um, without physical disabilities. So Alabama is one of the few states that does not permit handicap parking if you have uh, uh, invisible disability mm -hmm. like autism. Mm -hmm. And so we were traveling, um, we were in Disney World and we had a handicap um, wheelchair tag on our stroller and um we were asked why we didn't have one for our vehicle and we were asked the diagnosis and they're like why don't you have that for your car and that's when we learned that Alabama was one of the very few states that didn't have handicapped parking for autism diagnosis I never would have thought about that that's and, something and while that's not our criteria for Alabama because you know we we can park pretty easily most places but when we travel 
and my daughter's having a meltdown and we're having to walk them out to our car somewhere in the heat, it would be very convenient to be able to park. Closer up front. Yeah, I've never come across that, so I wouldn't have thought about that. Um, so, so you're going to do both? Well, I was waiting to see which one got approved. But yeah. I, I, personally, I like the sticker decal because I feel like it encompasses everyone with a disability. Yeah, and then I can see, you know, you get the sticker, but you also have to have those that are responding be able to notice what that is. So there's got to be some type of training for Right. So I felt like if it was sponsored by the state and it was issued by the state, then there could be some kind of like internal code maybe yep. that when they pulled up the car and they put in the registration code, because when my daughter took her driver's license test, they put in their system, her diagnosis. Huh. So it's in the state of Alabama's system that she has a diagnosis already. Yeah. No, I, I think that it makes sense all the way around on that one. Uh, so anyone that. watching, <laughs> you have, do you have contacts? <laughs> I, uh, I'm, we're not, uh, Alabama Care is not a part of PIPA and that we get to, you know, be a participant in there, uh, but we do get to do some recording of the audio and video. And it made me think, you know, what proposal would I do? I think I'd have to go after uh, dental being given through Medicaid. Um, you know, that's something a lot of people have yeah. to come out of pocket for. And I think is so crucial to the long-term health of every individual. Oh, you know, yes. Everything you put in your body comes right through your mouth. You know, you gotta. And dental is so expensive. Yeah. And it's very hard. Um, the family member that has a disability in my family, um, she hates going to the dentist and many dentists won't see her. Um, uh, traumatizing. We, yeah. And we've been very lucky that sparks at UAB, um, has been able to, you know, accommodate her, but it's been tough. Um, and even then it's out of pocket. So no, um, well, I appreciate you highlighting PIPA there. Um, and I kind of want to say, you know, with the, uh, supported decision-making, um, Colby and Kim are kind of spearheading it. Uh, I feel pretty hard, but then there are other things that, you know, we can do. And one of those things are you're, you're presenting, uh, you presented last week to Pippa about this, and you're also presenting to Voc Rehab in, in February about the different options and supported decision making. If you just talk about what those presentations look like and who's involved there. Yeah, so I'll be uh, presenting at Voc Rehab uh, to, to, again, to a set of counselors, but also to parents as well about what these options look like and that supported decision making exists. Um, you know, that. Kim's working on it. Kim has this act out there that we're trying, she's trying to get it passed. Um, here's how you can get involved. Here's what it looks like once it does get passed. Here's how you can, you know, start getting your team together. Um, you know, you can start building your dream team. You know, Kim, Kim has the information out there for you guys to replicate. You can start looking at how she's done it and start replicating it as well. I mean, the supported decision-making, that platform's out there, you know, how she built the team. Um, you can start building, you know, what that looks like. You know, one of the things I meant to mention, I started to mention this earlier, which is really critical. Uh, and Ken mentioned it in our last meeting and it's, it's so true. You don't have to wait till your child is an adult to start thinking about this. Start it when your kid is, your, your children are in school, start before they're transitioning out of school, start putting this dream team together 
early, um, you know, that transition from high school to college or to adult life is so hard. Um, and that dream team, these this team of people, you know, can help make that transition so much easier for your child, but also for you. And, um, you know, having that in place, I know it's like I always say, having an estate plan in place, having a plan in place, it's a gift for your child. And it's a gift for you. You know, you're setting up this plan so that if something were to happen to you, your child's going to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. And the earlier, the better. I, I, I feel like, um, you know, every family should be doing that, even though sometimes we don't, uh, no matter if you have children uh, that have a disability or not, no matter how big your family is, you need to be thinking about that in the future. What if, uh, and have a solid plan there. And I think a lot of Kim's work through this process will be um, creating online resources for other families, individuals, and parents uh, to utilize and kind of piggyback off of what she's done already. Um, whether, you know, she's, she, I know they're working on a webpage and having those, those things up there. I'm also going to plug, uh, Alabama care here. Um, we have done a number of broadcasts with Colby and Kim, and we've created a, a, um, uh, a shuffle on YouTube. So you can see all seven videos here. And I went ahead and put that link, um, in the chat. So you can see the progress there of meeting Colby, uh, meeting with Mr. James Tucker, uh, meeting the team, um, you know, creating the life course tools, uh, Colby's team there. So you can kind of see the progress and the process that uh, the Spanger family went through um, along there and get our views up guys. We may be switching from Facebook to YouTube. <laughs> um, well, we're kind of coming to a, a close here, um, but is there anything that we haven't talked about for supported decision-making um, or really any of the options once you, you hit 19 that you'd like to highlight for an individual or a family member? No, I mean, just keep in mind that just because, you know, like I said before, your child has a disability doesn't mean they can't, you know, sign documents. Um, and just because they have a disability doesn't mean that you have to have a guardianship. Mm -hmm. well, I would recommend looking at all of your options before you walk into the court, before you request anything. Um, you have uh, Jennifer McInerney here, Carney Dye Law, that is local in Birmingham, very well versed in all of the options um, and the, the ongoing changes that are happening very close to the, the movements that are happening here in Alabama. Um, please reach out to them if you have any questions, they would be happy to help. Um, and uh, are there any shout outs that you would like to give? So you have an upcoming presentation at Voc Rehab that's open to the public. Is that gonna be live or is it gonna be in per I mean, online or in person? Um, I'm not sure yet. I don't have all those details. Um, I know that we're gonna have a presentation with Undefined Birmingham in February, I think February 24th. Um, do you know much about Undefined Birmingham? I do not know. The local nonprofit. Um, connect you with those uh, with the folks who formed that nonprofit as well. Now that's um, different than uh, Rabbi Levy, correct? Mm -hmm. that's, that's full, full circle. circle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Undefined Birmingham is a, a, is a local nonprofit in Homewood. They had, a, it's a group of moms who had difficulties finding resources when their children were diagnosed 
uh, with disabilities. And so they formed this nonprofit for the whole purpose of kind of gathering resources and sharing them with families. So they're kind of like a resource gathering place. How do they share um, it? Is it all online or is it more like? It's all online. It's, it's based in Homewood. Um, and so I've done a, uh, we did one um, in-person conference with them about special needs planning right before COVID. I mean, like two weeks before COVID. And um, so we're going to have our next session. I think it's February 24th at the Bell Center. But that time and and information hasn't been completely um, been finalized yet. Oh, okay, I see it here. I'm going to put this in the but chat. They'll start, they'll start advertising that um, as soon as it gets nailed down. And I'll definitely introduce you to them as, too, as well, Alex. I really appreciate that. And we're looking forward to doing uh, the broadcast with uh, Full Circle. Yes, that's another wonderful organization. If anyone's local in Birmingham, you should definitely go check out Full Circle in Homewood on Linden Avenue. Mm -hmm. um, well, Mrs. McInerney, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and kind of giving us the background um, from your perspective on all the things that are guardianship to supported decision making in Alabama. Um, and I will see you the 27th, 28th, I think, or 28th, 29th. Yes, at yes that's right. <laughs> yes. Thank you. All right. You have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.